This morning we are continuing our series called The Greatest Stories Ever Told. And uh, we are going to be looking at um, an Old Testament. So this is the Old Testament. It's about, it's about the life before Jesus Christ, right? Um, and this uh, message this morning is called A Divided Kingdom. And so the chapter we're going to be looking at mostly this morning is called 1 Kings uh, chapter 12. And kind of the parallel passage, we won't have time to read it this morning, but it's in your notes and you can write it down. 2 Kings, or excuse me, 2 Chronicles chapter 10 is kind of a parallel passage, fills in some gaps this morning. Now, um, you have to understand we've been teaching through the last five weeks or so, um, starting with Genesis, and obviously we're not telling every story. We can't uh, during this series, but we're telling some of the major stories that we want to help you be aware of. And this morning there's four things from this, this book that was written. You have to understand this book was written almost 3,000 years ago. The passage that we're talking about and teaching from this morning happened th- almost 2,900 years ago, almost 3,000 years ago. And it was written about a couple kings. Um, and so it's like, oh, man, how do I apply, you know, what was written 3,000 years ago to, to two kings and how this nation divided? Well, there's four things at the very end um, that I want principles or truths or uh, things that we can kind of pull out and draw out of this passage that I think apply to the men who it was written about and about our lives also. Up until this time, um, again, 2,900 years ago this all happened. Up until this time, Israel had been a united nation, one country, and they'd had three kings, King Saul, King David, and then another king, King David's son, King Solomon. And these three kings had ruled Israel for 120 years between the three of them. And um, all of a sudden, um, the kingdom begins to fall apart. A civil war takes place, and a division takes place, and... The nations divide up into two halves, a north north half called Israel and a southern half called Judah. And the north half is made up of 10 of the 12 tribes. And the southern part is made up of just two of the 12 tribes. I think we'll have a picture up here just so we can kind of visualize this. Um, That's one, and that's kind of there. Look at that one. I know it's a little bit hard to see. So you can see Israel's divided up into two parts here. There's this northern part called Israel, and then the southern part called Judah. And the story this this morning is about how Israel gets divided into these two tribes, or these two parts, how the civil war occurs. Now, first service, um, I read quite a bit about uh, King Solomon. Um, You'll find the story kind of backing up a little bit. Actually, I think there's one more um, slide about a timeline on there. Let me kind of go to there if you have that. Yeah. So, 1040 B.C., King Saul becomes king. 1000 B.C., David becomes king. And he establishes Jerusalem as his, as his capital, as a center. 960 B.C., right? So this is, you know, 2,900 years before now. King David's son, Solomon, builds the first Jewish temple. Then about 40 years later, these two guys come on the scene. Now, this is not really their names, but one of his name is Jeroboam, King Jeroboam. The other one is King Rehoboam. And so I like to call them the Boam brothers. They're not really brothers, right? Rehoboam, or we'll call him King Ray. Ray's dad was Solomon. King Jeroboam, or we'll call him Jerry, Jerry Boam. He had a different dad, right? Non-related at all. Um, what's interesting, and again, we won't take time. It's kind of, you might want to write down your notes. We won't, I don't have time to read all of these, like first service, because you should have came to first service. So anyways, um, <laughs> 
First Kings chapter 3, verse 14, kind of backs us up. And God speaks to Solomon as he's becoming king. And he says this to Solomon. Solomon, if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. And then all of a sudden, we skip forward a few verses, and we find out, did King Solomon do this? Did he follow God's decrees? Did he obey God's commands? And then 1 Kings chapter 10 tells us about how King Solomon had accumulated all this wealth. And it would say in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14, each year he would receive like 25 tons of gold. And that didn't include all this other income that he received. And he made all these shields of gold, large shields and small shields of gold. And how Solomon made this huge um, you know, throne that he sat on, it was overlaid with gold and it had lions on the sides of it. You know, you walk up and you see the lions all over the place and he had cups of gold and it says that in 1 Kings um, that silver was so co common because Solomon was so wealthy that like silver was just like worthless. It was so common. Um, we're also told that Solomon would have these ships that would come in um, and once every three years, and these ships were loaded with gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. And he had this huge stable of horses and chariots. First Kings chapter 11. I'm just, just kind of hitting the highlights. First Kings chapter 11 tells us about Solomon. How he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, most guys, they, I mean... One wife is way overwhelming, right? And this guy has 700 wives and 300 concubines. And many of them were foreign women. And scripture, you know, again, God's like, Solomon, listen, if you just follow my decrees and obey, and then I'll give you this long life. And, you know, we're told, they were told not to marry foreign women who would lead them astray to worship of other gods. Solomon marries all these foreign women. And it says at the very end, right there at 1 Kings, verse 3, he had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as David his father had been. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. So then what happens? God tells Solomon, because of his disobedience, there's a consequence that his kingdom would be torn in two. Not in his lifetime, but after his lifetime, it would be torn in two. And somehow, we don't know exactly, but a prophet goes to, um, goes to Jerry, Jeroboam. And this prophet comes to Jeroboam and he gives him 10 or 12 pieces of cloth or has 12 pieces, tears it up to 12 pieces, and he hands 10 of them to him. He said, these represent the 10 northern tribes, and this is going to become your kingdom. What's interesting is that Jerry Boehm actually worked for King Solomon. He, um, he oversaw the labor force. Because remember, King Solomon had this incredible temple built from God. He was supposed to do that. He has this incredible temple built for God. And he taxed the people. I mean, they had to pay for it, right? Somehow he had to pay for it. So he taxed the people, and he had to have a labor force, and it was the people of Israel. It's the Jewish people. And Jerry, good old Jerry, worked for Solomon. He was a great leader, and he was in charge of the labor force for King Solomon. So a prophet comes to Jerry, Jeroboam, 
says, hey, the kingdom is going to be divided and God is going to give you, you're going to make it the king over ten of the tribes. Some, for some reason, somehow, secrets don't get kept quiet too long probably, and Solomon finds out, and we're told that Solomon tries to have Jeroboam killed. And Jeroboam flees to Egypt, a little bit further south of Israel, right? He flees to Egypt and Solomon dies. End of story of Solomon's life. Then we pick up in 1 Kings um, chapter 11, excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 12. And we find out a little bit about um, what happens next. Jeroboam, or excuse me, Solomon dies. Jeroboam had been in, in Egypt. And then in 1 Kings chapter 12, Rehoboam rises to the scene. Now, I'm sure he, 700 wives, you think he had to have other brothers and sisters, but the scripture doesn't mention anything about any of Solomon's other kids except for Rehoboam. Rehoboam you know, rises up to the scene to become king. And um, we're told that he goes from Jerusalem, which was a little bit south, I kind of showed you, 35 miles up to the city called Shechem. And it was an important city. And in this city, um, Abraham, God had spoken to Abraham in this city. Um, Jacob, um, God had spoken to Jacob. Jacob, another one of the spiritual fathers, he builds an altar to God. Uh, a guy named Joseph, whose his bones are buried in this city called Shechem. And so Rehoboam goes up to the city because it's kind of in a little bit further north. And, and there had been tension, already had been animosity between these tribes, these, these people groups within Israel. And he goes a little bit further north to be coronated king. And what happens when he goes up there, the people look at him and they're like, King Ray, man, your dad taxed us to death. Could you lighten the load? Could you ease up on the taxes, right? Could you ease up on the taxes? And King Ray Bohm's like, you know, give me a little bit of time to think about it. And he goes to, now we, we find out from Chronicles that King Ray, he's not, he's not a kid. He's 41. He's not, he's not a kid anymore. He'd he grown up in the temple, excuse me, in the palace. And so... He says, give me a little bit of time. And so he goes to the older advisors of Solomon. And he's like, hey, what do you guys think? Should I ease up on the taxes? You know, and they're like, yeah, Solomon, ease up. You know, ease up on the taxes. And be a good servant. Be a good leader. Serve the people. And if you do that, Solomon, or excuse me, if you do that, Ray, the people are going to follow you the rest of your life. But what happens when you go to people and you don't hear what you want to hear? What do you do? You go to somebody else, right? And you typically will go to your peers who are going to tell you what you want to know or what you want to hear from them. So King Ray goes to his peers and says, hey, what do you guys think about this? They're like, no way, no way, Ray. No way, Ray. That's a good one. No way, Ray. <laughs> They're like, no, you, you tell those people, you know, tell them that your pinky is thicker than your father's waist. And tell them that he beat you with whips and you're going to beat them with scorpions. And you're going to attack them like crazy. And they kind of got, you got to read into a little bit more. And it was, they got pretty vulgar in what they were saying. And so, so Ray is like, yeah, that sounds like some good advice. And so he goes back to the people and says, yep, that's exactly what's going to happen. You think my dad was hard. You know, I'm going to be way harder than my dad was. And I'm going to tax you like crazy. And the people, they're like, 
no, no way, Ray. No way. That's not going to happen. And he's up in their area, and he starts to, you know, he sends somebody else to kind of, you know, quell this or stop this uprising that's going on all of a sudden. And the people kill the dude. Like, they murder him. And, and Rehoboam is like, oh, I got to get out of here. He runs back down to, to his hometown, to Jerusalem, where he knows he's going to be safe. Let me pick up here, because um, I kind of, you know, told you this a little bit. Um, so let me get to, um, let's see. So let me go to verse 21, if you can find. That's like four more slides in. Verse 21. 1 Kings 12, 21 says, When Rehoboam arrived at Jerusalem, because I just told you what happened, says he mobilized the men of Judah, right, where he was down south, and the tribe of Benjamin, because he was in charge of those two tribes were going to be remain loyal, and 180,000 select troops to fight against the men of Israel and to restore the kingdom to himself. This is what the Lord says, though, to Rehoboam. Ray. Do not fight against your relatives, the Israelites. Go back home for what has happened. This dividing up of the kingdom, this civil war, for what has happened is my doing. So Rehoboam doesn't. He doesn't go ahead and fight. He just kind of sits back. In the next three years, things go pretty well for him. He follows the Lord and tries to obey and do the things that God has called him to do. Jeroboam, we're not, I won't take time to necessarily read all this. I'll kind of walk you through it, and you guys can go back and fill in the blanks. Verse 25 and on tells us a story about, um, about Jeroboam, King Jerry. Because the people say, Jerry, you got to be our king. No way, Ray. You're the man, Jerry. Jeroboam becomes the king. And remember, these two countries now, Israel now to the north, Judah to the south. And you know these countries, they became their own separate countries. And they would never be a united country again until 1948 when Israel becomes a nation. All those thousands of years, that's the split. That's when it happened. So so Jeroboam becomes the king of the north, these ten tribes. And Jeroboam's thinking, and he builds up his cities up there, and you know, and he's thinking in verse, uh, verse 26, it says, Jeroboam thought to himself, unless I'm careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again, they will give their allegiance to King Rehoboam and they will kill me and they will make him their king instead. So he seeks out the advice. He's trying to protect his kingdom. He's trying to try. Remember, God gave this to him. But he's trying to protect it himself, his own strength. He thinks up his own ideas. He doesn't seek out God. Say, God, what do you think I should do in response to all these things? And so he, all of a sudden, he basically starts his own religion, kind of imitates what's going on down in the south. And he sets up his, his own places of worship. And he sets up these golden calves. And they're like, oh, let's, you know, you guys don't go down to, because they were supposed to go down to Jerusalem three times a year. Everybody was to worship. There was three festivals in particular. You had to go down, and you were supposed to go down and worship. And he's like, oh, man, if people go down there, then they're going to start worshiping God again, and Rehoboam's going to be their king, and they're going to kill me. So he sets up this, this idolatry, these places of worship that were, he's like, guys, don't go down there to, to Jerusalem. Stay up here. It's easy. It's convenient, right? You know, 
Don't cause more trouble for yourselves by going down there. So he does these things. He makes up these idols for people to worship. And he, he says, you know what? We don't need about priests. Anybody who wants to be a priest can be a spiritual leader. Like there's no qualifications. They, you want to do it? You know, sometimes I feel like, well, I won't say that. Anyway, so, you know. Like anybody can do it. And he really almost makes a mockery of spiritual leadership and serving God. And sometimes I do wonder about that today. Like how convenient and easy do we make things for for people and for ourselves? It says Jeroboam, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 33, it says Jeroboam did, did, turn, did not turn from his evil ways. He continued to choose priests from the common people. He appointed anyone who wanted to become priests for the pagan shrines. This became a great sin and resulted in utter destruction of Jeroboam's dynasty from the face of the earth. Now, I really encourage you to take time today to go back and to read these stories, these passages a little bit more in depth. I kind of had to just hit highlights for you this morning. But they really are truly fascinating. And so I want to give you four things, four life, I call them four life lessons that we can learn from King Ray and from King Jerry. Four life lessons. These are your notes this morning. The first lesson is this. We must guard ourselves from becoming spiritually careless in good times. You know, oftentimes when people are going through difficult times and difficult seasons, you know, and they'll pursue God and they'll run after God and they'll look to God because, you know, Jesus, I need your help. I need you to rescue me. My life is falling apart. And I realize, you know, nothing else around me is working. So Jesus, would you come and rescue me? I put my hope in people and I don't want to do that anymore. I put my hope in riches and I don't want to do that anymore. And we need to learn from these kings that we have to guard ourselves from becoming Spiritually careless in good times. It says Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1. says, when Rehoboam was firmly established and strong. It had been three years he'd been king. Everything was going great. He was following God, pursuing him. Life was easy, kind of carefree, easy. When he'd been firmly established and strong, he abandoned the Lord, of the, he abandoned the law of the Lord. And all Israel followed him in this sin. Been three years. Became careless. You know, it's interesting. You know, Brad and I are in a, in a small group together and we meet and hang out with some other guys. And, you know, he, if you notice, he said, yeah, I, I want to actively pursue Christ. He's like, I don't want to be spiritually careless one of the things I've heard many, many years ago, I read it in a book, and this guy said, you know, we, we are either actively pursuing Christ or passively resisting him. That's why Brad said that. He's like, oh, I want to actively pursue Jesus. I don't want to be passively, res- I don't want to be spiritually careless. When things are going well in my life, Proverbs 4.23 says that we're to, we're to guard our heart above all else, our thoughts, our emotions, for out of it determines the course of your life. Paul is writing to Timothy, who was a pastor, and this was written more towards pastors, to people in spiritual leadership, but I think it does apply to the rest of us as the body of Christ. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, give careful attention to your spiritual life. Like, give careful attention to your spiritual life. 
in every cherished truth that you teach. For living what you preach will release salvation inside of you into all those who listen. I think that first truth that we need to to be reminded of is that we must guard ourselves from becoming spiritually careless like Rehoboam did during those good times of our life. Secondly, this is a really big one. A second principle I think we can learn is that God is much bigger than our sin or the sin of others. That God will work through our mistakes and sin to fulfill his greater purpose. Someone say amen. Amen. I mean, are you not glad that God is bigger than your sin? Are you not glad that God is bigger than the sin of other people around us, right? I mean, think about this. The, the, The kingdom was torn in two because of disobedience. It was torn in two because of disobedience of King Solomon. But God's like, no, 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 no. I have a much bigger plan. I know you guys don't understand this, but hey, Ray, don't go attack Jeroboam because I'm, I'm doing this. I'm working my plan because God had made a promise that, that Jesus, the Messiah, would come through the line of David. And David was a part of this southern kingdom. And it would be 120 years or so after this happens that, again, Assyria from the north would come and utterly destroy Israel in the north. And I believe God was protecting that promise. He was going to fulfill that promise that he had made about the Messiah coming through the line of King David. And so they didn't see and they didn't understand what was going on. But God was working his purpose even in the midst of somebody's sin. God's bigger than my mistakes. God is bigger than the mistakes that somebody around you has made. And you thought, oh, God... This, this, this ruins things or whatever. You're finished with me. And the guy's like, oh, no, 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 my dear child. I'm way bigger than that. And I'm going to work and accomplish my purposes in your life. Remember months ago we studied the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. God, Daniel has this vision. God, God shows him this vision that King Nebuchadnezzar is going to have this dream and tells him all about the dream. And Daniel says this. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom. God has all wisdom and all power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. Now, I don't know why we keep on thinking about this, but some of you are in here and you're like so worried and overwhelmed about not just sin, but these crazy life times that we're living in, about all these ships out in the middle of the ocean. And you're like, oh, you know, world's falling apart. And God's like, What are you guys talking about? God controls the course of world events. It's like, what's going on here? Like, why are you acting like people who don't serve the living God who's in control of all this stuff? It's like, oh, yeah, God, forgive me. You know, I need to repent of my worriness. God, you're in control. You're in control of world events. Either that or you're a liar, God. The Bible's a liar and I can't believe it. Romans 8, 28, right? Paul says that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. God is so much bigger than your sin. God is so much bigger than the sin of people around us. Third thing I want us to walk away from this morning and think about is that this, jealousy always creates division. 
Now, jealousy is not the only thing that creates division, but jealousy always creates division. See, we don't have time to read it, but it had been years. It had been probably 40 years. There was this tension going on. There was this jealousy, this rivalry that was taking place way before Jeroboam, way before Rehoboam were even on the scene. There was this jealousy that was taking place between these northern tribes and these southern tribes about who should be in positions of leadership and who should have responsibility. And on and on and on and on it goes. Jealousy always creates division. Again, Romans 13 says, because we belong to the day, because we belong to the light, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling. Don't participate in jealousy. He said, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus. And don't, let yourself, and don't let yourself think of ways, about ways to indulge your evil desires. Jealousy always leads to quarreling, always leads to division. This problem happened, started way before these guys came on the scene. It just manifests itself with them. Galatians 5.19 lists jealousy amongst all these other evil desires Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other like sins. And other sins like these. Let me tell you again that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jealousy always leads to division. We see it happen in this passage. We see it happen in all of our lives around us frequently. I've told you guys this. This is not in the Bible, but this is my daughter. I'm quoting my daughter and just sticks with me. And I don't remember quotes very often. She said to me one time, I must have been doing this. She said, Dad, comparison is the thief of joy. Right? Jealousy it robs us of a joy in our life. We compare our lives. Oh, well, look about, what about them? Last thing, we have to be careful to make sure we're not following Jesus in a way that is self-serving, easy, convenient, yet not biblical. Make sure that you are following Jesus in a way that's not about me and self-serving. Oh, this is easy. This is convenient. But yet it's not biblical. I mean, you know, going back to that, that bit on jealousy, those, you know, as I was talking about that, like all those things, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but, you know, I'm going to live my life the way that I, I'm going to, you know, follow you the way that Jesus, I want to follow you, not the way that your word tells me to follow you, because, you know, it's not very convenient, Jesus, to me, you know, to me, you fill in the blank. Remember, Jerry's like, hey, guys, don't worry about these festivals where God tells you to come down to Jerusalem. Uh, don't worry about that because, you know, that's not very convenient for you. Uh, don't worry about, you know, the priests and all that stuff because that's not easy. And, you know, we need to do our own thing. Sometimes people are like that. Well, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to worry about 
what I do with my money because that's not very easy or convenient. So you know what? I, you know, I'm here. I'm following Jesus. But who cares about the way I spend my money? Oh, I'm following Jesus. But who cares about sexual purity? Oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. But you fill in the blank. We have to be careful to make sure that we are not following Jesus in a way that's self-serving, easy, convenient. It's not what the Bible says. Are you following Jesus in a way that that's not biblical? You know, and I know sometimes people get irritated because someone says something, you know, from the platform up here, and it's what the Bible says, but it's not what they want to hear. And it's like, oh, this is not easy. I'm out of here. Forget it. Because it doesn't serve me well. I mean, I've, anybody else been there besides me? Anybody want to say amen, right? Okay, at least a couple of you are honest, right? This is what Matthew 16, what Jesus says. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Oh. You must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, will save it. Another, another passage in the, in the Gospels, Jesus said, you must take up your cross daily. Oh, I thought this was a one and done. Oh, Jesus is like, nope. You got to deny yourself every day. Make that choice, that decision every day to say, God, your way is better than my way. Your way is better than my way. Last passage, John 4, 24, Jesus says, for it's, this is the message, more of a paraphrase, for it's not where we worship that counts, Jesus said, but how we worship. Is our worship spiritual? Is it real? Do we have the Holy Spirit's help? For God is spirit, and we must have his help to worship as we should. The Father wants this kind of worship for us. Other translations say you must worship in spirit and in truth. These guys want to do the easy thing. Jerry's like, pfft. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about, you know, don't worry about all those things your church is telling you. Just do what's easy. Don't worry about what your church is telling you. Don't worry about what the Bible tells us about the way that we're called to live a Christian life. Do what's easy and convenient, but it's not biblical. Crazy, right? 3,000 years ago, 2,900 years ago, the story about King Jerry and King Ray, two Bowen brothers, applies to us today. What is God speaking to your heart? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that your word is living and active and true and it's always right. That your word is your word to us, to guide us and lead us, to speak to us, to encourage us. God, thank you so much that you are bigger than my sin, that you're bigger than the sin of other people around me. That, God, you're in control and you're going to work out your plans and your purposes for our lives. Forgive us for not trusting you, for doubting you, for questioning you, your goodness for us. God, help us to be aware where we're trying to make up our own rules and guidelines and what it means to be in relationship with you. It has nothing to do with what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, it goes against your word. Would you show us those areas of our life that we've decided that we're going to do it because it's easy and convenient, but not biblical? 
God, speak to our lives, we pray this morning. By your presence, we pray, Jesus. Father, help us to trust you. 